Only on a Sunday, a podcast about more than church. Welcome to the Only on a Sunday podcast. My name is Daniel Lowry, and I'm joined by my wife, Kristen. Hi. This season, we are focusing on reimagining prayer. What does prayer look like in terms of Jesus' invitation to abide in Him and His directive to live out our spiritual authority in bringing about the Great Commission? We have the privilege of Ted Wiesty joining us for this episode. Hey, it's great to be with you guys. Oh, it's so great to have you, Ted. Thank you so much. I'm going to read your illustrious bio. Ted has served for 25 years in various ministry capacities, with the last 20 years being in pastoral ministry. After serving as an associate pastor, Ted planted Trinity Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas, where he pastored for nine years. Currently, he is the director and founder of the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona. The organization exists to foster the spiritual formation movement in Arizona and beyond by creating safe environments where learners and leaders can experience and grow in the love of the Trinity. He also serves on the faculty for spiritual direction with leadership transformation and is an adjunct professor and assistant director of spiritual formation at Phoenix Seminary. Ted has studied, created, sorry, numerous spiritual formation resources from journals to prayer devotionals and study guides of famous devotional classics. He wrote Welcome Everything, Reflections on a Journey Through Cancer, and has another book coming out soon, The God Who Dances, Six Movements in the Formation of Our Souls. Ted resides in Phoenix, Arizona with his wife, Jennifer, and two children. Welcome, Ted. Thank you. It is so great to be with you guys. Yeah, I'm I'm so excited to have you. I remember we first met at a seminar that Amago Christie put on and you were kind of leading that down in Phoenix, Arizona and man, really life-changing. So thank you for for hosting that and and leading that. And so when we came to the season of of prayer, I mean, you were like the first guy that jumped into my mind is like we got to ask Ted and you graciously said yes. So yeah, this is I'm so excited. I know people are going to get just so blessed by what you have to say. You know, one of the things we've tried to do in our podcast is start off with something kind of funny. And so we shared a little funny story last episode uh, about a a kind of prayer. And uh, so I wanted to open up the floor to you if you've got something funny, some kind of humorous prayer, (laughs) prayer story. You're laughing already. Yeah. So you have the floor. Well, I'm I'm laughing because I'm not sure what I'm going to share is really that funny. It's, it's almost <laughs> more tragic because I think when it comes oh. to prayer, when it comes to prayer, a lot of times the funny things are like misunderstandings or or whatever. And what comes to my mind, and this is sort of a classic thing that I always think about, probably 25 years ago or something like that, I was in a wedding. I wasn't officiating the wedding, but I was a groomsman in this wedding. And so they asked me if I would offer a prayer for the couple. And so I thought about it and prayed about it. I'm not going to write a prayer. I'm just going to pray from my heart, something simple. I don't want this to be some showy, you know, thing. And so I just prayed this very simple prayer and, you know, went back to my spot, you know, went on to this with the ceremony and all that. We get to the reception and somebody came up to me at the reception and said, 
well, that wasn't really much of a prayer. <laughs> I remember thinking, <laughs> oh, okay. I didn't, I didn't know I was on American Idol, you know, for prayer, <laughs> judging me. You yeah. know, was it a good prayer? You know, I give that one a four. So I mean, oh, it's no. kind of funny, like in retrospect. And but at the time, I remember thinking, what is that? What do you, oh, what do you mean? It wasn't much of a prayer. I that was my heart, you know. And <laughs> so anyway, I I just you didn't I, speak I, I the think, incantation right. <laughs> I don't know. It wasn't long enough. I you know was it not passionate enough? I, I don't know what it was. And okay. and in one sense, I don't really care. But it just it, that always comes back to me that I think people have these misconceptions about prayer where it's got to be a certain way and, and you have to say the right things the right way and it has to be a certain length and I don't know. But um, anyway, when you ask me about a funny prayer story, I guess it's more tragically funny and it's definitely funny looking back. Right. Well, that, that is awesome. funny. Um, it, we won't ask you to pray to get us started. So because <laughs> we, we, need, we need 10 prayers, Ted. We don't need four prayers. <laughs> um, but yeah, that really is. We talked about that uh, quite a bit in our last episode, how oftentimes we treat prayer like it's magic. You know, if I say it just right, I'll influence the gods in a particular way for my benefit. So yeah, that's just a, one, a personal example of that. Well, we've invited you to join us to really hone in on the first half of, of our topic for the season, um, abiding in Christ, abiding prayer. And really, it comes from the two invitations that Jesus gives. The first one is, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And and I think a lot of us have at some point in time uh, received or accepted that invitation, you know. But then there's a second invitation that Jesus gives later in John's gospel, where it says, you know, abide in me and I will abide in you. And it's this invitation that Jesus gives, don't just come to me but stay with me, dwell with me, be with me. And, you know, it's not only just be with me, but I will be with you. Like, that's just revolutionary, like beyond comprehension. And I know in my own life, I, I don't know how to do that for the longest time. I, I, don't, I didn't know what that meant. So, you know, we just kind of wanted to invite you as someone who is a spiritual director and helps people along this journey, um, just to talk to us a little bit about your understandings of abiding prayer and, and what it means and, and maybe how it's a little different than our common understanding. So I guess to kind of jump in and get going, uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey to Christ, where you came from, the horrible sinner that you were, and now the saint that you are. So <laughs> if you want to just jump in. <laughs> well, apparently I couldn't pray very well. <laughs> yeah, that hasn't changed. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's funny as you say that and, and talking about abiding prayer, and I know we're going to come back and unpack that a little bit as we mm. as we move along. But, you know, talking about abiding, remaining, being with. And, you know, when you think about the invitation to just follow Jesus, I think sometimes that gets that almost gets cliched out follow Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm following Jesus. What does that really mean? Hmm. It means to be with him. Hmm. It means to be with him. And that's what Jesus was saying in a, in a literal way with his disciples. Come be with me. Leave your nets. Leave these things behind and be with me. It's, a, it's at the heart of it and the core of it. So 
what we're going to talk about today isn't some advanced course in the Christian life. I, mm-hmm, I think it's mm-hmm. really just the basis and the basics, and it and it develops and grows. But we'll come back to that. You know, I think as far as my journey goes, I, I grew up in a in a church going home. We went to church regularly, and at the same time. I, I never really processed it in a personal way, you know, at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just went to church and had friends there. And if there were cute girls in the youth group, man, I was involved in that youth group or whatever, you know. And, <laughs> and I remember getting in trouble at church because it was just another place to mess around with my friends and mm-hmm. and whatever. And But when I was later in high school, first part of high school, <laughs> I don't want to say I was some great sinner. I don't know that I committed any crimes that I want to talk about right now. But, you know, I, I was at a place where I was really searching, I think. And uh, so when I was later in high school, my parents got me to go to this youth group. Uh, we moved to a new town, actually we moved to Arizona. My parents got me to go to this youth group. And I heard, I heard the gospel for the first time. Mm-hmm. I think it had been shared with me, but I really heard it for the first time. And I remember just being blown away. And the Lord captured my heart at that time. And I began to walk with him. And, you know, pretty early on in my in my life with Christ, I got involved in ministry. And and in a lot of ways, my life with God and ministry were tied together. That's mm-hmm. just what it meant to be in Christ was to serve him and to and to be involved in ministry. And in some ways that it was wonderful, so good, because there, there's a lot of truth to that. You know, if we're going to be with him, we're going to do things with him. And what is he doing? He is at work in the world and he is ministering. And so that's part of the invitation of being with him is ministering to him. And and I think that's a really good thing. But one of the things that can happen, I think, is especially as we go on in our journey, is that we can just start to identify simply with serving and ministering. And that becomes the way that we think about our life with God. And, and so, you know, I get, I get into ministry full time and go to seminary and all this kind of things, start pastoring a church. And I would say in a lot of ways, um, for me, I, if you ask me how my life with God was going, I'd probably kind of look around and say, am I sinning very much? Well, I, I don't know, maybe not much. And, and am I doing ministry? Am I busy? You know? Yeah. So I think things are going good, you know? And so mm-hmm. the metric for my life in Christ, I think in a lot of ways became how busy or successful or productive I was in ministry. And I think in in so many ways, th- there began to be a dissatisfaction in that. I knew there was something more in that. And, and specifically, when we planted uh, a church, it was in my early 30s, 33, 34, somewhere in there, I just knew that when we planted this church, there was something different that God was calling us into, you know? And at that point, I knew how to run a church. I knew how to teach the scriptures. I knew how to do the programs. But I, what was haunting me, I guess you could say, is I wanted to connect with people's hearts. I wanted to make sure that people were connecting with God in their heart. Because I knew, you know, tons of people at our church, coming to our church, they come to know Christ as their Savior, they know the Bible verses, but are they seeing transformation? And so part of what I had to do is look at my own life. What's that look like for me? 
And so I think some of how I was in some ways stumped by how do I lead people in this way? I had to look at myself and say, I don't even know what this means, you know? And so probably one of the key turning points for me was in my marriage, just realizing I have no idea how to really love my wife well. And I'm sick and tired of us having a dust up and, 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 you know, 98.7% of the time it was my fault. Um, (laughs) She may have a different number, Um, might be higher, might be lower. I don't know. Only 98.7. Wow. Well, you know, I'm at 99.7. So (laughs) I'm just giving myself a little grace. (laughs) Maybe I did something right. (laughs) But, but what really struck me was Mm -hmm. like, I am tired of telling my wife, yes, I know I want to do better. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't really know that I knew what it meant to really change and really experience transformation from God through the spirit. And so I ended up going to some counseling and, and the counseling was probably more like spiritual direction and, and mm-hmm. spiritual formation. And it just took me on this journey and it really sh- began to shape me in different ways and shape how I was leading the church. And it led into just some further growth and study and, and spiritual formation ended up being trained as a spiritual director. Cause it just felt like that was something that I wanted to inform the way that I was pastoring. Mm. Yeah, you mentioned something in your story about how you come to the point where you just don't know, like, you know, what that looks like. And uh, I've shared my story where, you know, I was just going on a hike and and I was just overwhelmed by you know what I would call the love of God and really kind of broke down emotionally and really come, came to the place where I don't know how to pray. Like I've been doing ministry for 25 years and, and, and like, I don't know how to pray. And it was just amazing how the Lord stepped in from that point and really just opened my eyes into what that means or the direction. And so it sounds like in your journey, like you had to come to that point of a real, like, this is not something I can study and kind of learn mentally. Like I, I have to come to a place of like being poor in spirit. Yeah. Yeah. I think brokenness would be another word, you know, Mm -hmm. just yeah, that poverty of spirit. And then, and then I think what maybe goes along with that is realizing there's got to be more. Jesus Mm -hmm. talks about an abundance of life. Yeah. And I, I feel like I taste that, but I want to, I want to drink that in. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that really uh, stuck out to me was how easy it is in just maybe, let's just say traditional, you know, Western Christian church to associate being okay spiritually, or even sometimes I think growth, we equate that with I'm serving in a lot of ways and I'm busy instead of how is my life transformed? Does my life look radically different than before Jesus, right? Which we all know we should, that's, that's a metric we should be using because we know it, we read it, but I think we get caught up in this, I could maybe a cycle of our culture measures growth by, wow, she really, she signs up for everything or he serves everywhere. And we haven't really done, like you're saying, that hard work of transformation. Yeah. I think, you know, it's easy to measure what somebody knows and what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You can measure that. So yeah. 
in a church, you know, you say someone spiritually mature. Well, what do they know? Do they know the Bible? Do they yeah. know all the theology? Are they serving? And and you can measure that. And and I, and, I, and those things are important. It's important to be grounded in Scripture. It's important to mm, yeah. know know the right things about God. It, it's Absolutely. so important. And it's important to know what your gifts are. All of that. Mm. But in some ways, that's you know, like teaching a child to know these things, know how to mm. operate in the world, know who you are, those kind of things. Mm. But there comes a point where, and I think this is a really helpful analogy and different writers and, and, and spiritual theologians of the years have talked about this is, and the scriptures use this analogy as well, is, you know, we're children in Christ, but then there comes a time where we have to grow up. Mm. And really what defines the adult mm. is you've learned how to love, mm, yeah. you know, and you, and you can't teach that. How do you, how do you teach someone how to love? You kind of can't. can't right. <laughs> and how do you measure that? You, you can't measure yeah. it either. Yeah. It's good. Well, I think that, you know, as you're sharing your story, I, I think we're really talking to the person who finds themselves in the middle of the two invitations. Um, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I think to a lot of degrees, that that is the invitation that really um, highlights our Christian walk, our being with Jesus, is when I have a problem, I go to him, and I have some expectation that there's going to be rest. You know, not a bad expectation, just, you know, this is Jesus, he's my Savior. But we're now moving into that kind of abide with him in that abiding prayer. And so what I wanted to do is kind of switch a little bit our conversation and just begin to talk about what does that mean even? Not, not even to the point of like, how do you do it? <laughs> we'll get to that, you know, I, I hope. But just what does that mean, abiding abiding in him, um, abiding in prayer, uh, as you said earlier, like following him, being with him? You know, what is your understanding of that? Well, it's, you know, I, I think to tie it back to the to the prayer question, one of the challenges we have is we often think of prayer as equaling intercession. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about prayer, it's asking God for things, right? So, true. so yeah. what does it mean to pray? Well, I have a prayer list and I'm praying for people. I'm praying for myself and I'm asking for things. Or maybe we might say it's, you know, praying scripture. That That might be a little bit more there. And, and those are right and those are good, but prayer is so much more than just intercession. And so one of the helpful things can be to even think about that sort of in terms of a progression of, of prayer. There's a, there's a great book called Armchair Mystic, and it's the subtitle is Easing into Contemplative Prayer. So it's it's a great introductory kind of thing. And he, in that book, Mark Thibodeau, he talks about there being four levels of prayer. And he says the first level is talking at God. And, and it's kind of how kids, you know, they, they talk at people, they talk at their parents. They're not, it's not really conversation even, you know? Nope. I, I Amen. About, <laughs> right? I think about my my son who is now, you know, almost 21, his first word was cracker. It wasn't dad. It wasn't mom. You know, it was cracker. Right. Why? Because he wanted the cracker. Yeah. He needed the cracker. So was he in a conversation with me? No, he was talking at me. He was saying cracker. I need, you know, food. And so first level is talking to God or talking at God. Then and he talks about a second level being talking to. 
So it gets a little more conversational and that maybe is some of the intercessory kind of things. And they talked about a third level being listening to God. You know, we move to a place where he's listening to us and we're aware of that. And then the third place is, is listening to God, kind of meditative prayer. Maybe it, we're listening through the scriptures or even just trying to be quiet and listen. Lord, is there something you want to say to me? But then he describes the fourth level as being with. Hmm. It's being with God. Uh, contemplative prayer, centering prayer, abiding prayer would would be in this place. And you know, we might think about that first level being like the child, just, you know, cracker or whatever they're saying. This fourth level is like the old married couple, you know, who's retired, sitting on the porch. They're not even talking. They're just being together. And and they might at times smile at each other, you know, as they see something happening in front of them because they're thinking the same thing. But it's really just being together, even without words. And that is a place of intimacy. And, and within that place of, of just being together, there can be deepening intimacy. So when we talk about uh, abiding prayer, it's really learning how to be with God without words, without agenda. It's not asking for things. It's just being uh, with Him. And so it is helpful to think about it in terms of a progression that we we grow into that place. But it's also helpful even, you know, for those who are newer in Christ and just learning how to talk at God and talk to God to to give a vision for being with Him when, when the time is right and when the Lord brings them to that place. In many ways, in the same way that, you know, when my kids were small, I was telling them about uh, about sexuality, but I wasn't explaining it in depth when they're five years old, but they need to know something they need to know God designed it. They need to know this is something in their future. And so even just from a pastoral standpoint, I think it's helpful to think about those sort of four levels. And, and it's not that you give up the other levels. Intercessory prayer continues to be important. It may get shaped a little different. Listening to God is important. But the the point is to just be, to enjoy relationships. So, I mean, you know, abiding John 15 you know, walks through, uh, abide with me as I abide with you. So it's, it's really based on the idea that he's already abiding with me. He's already with me. I don't, I don't make this happen. I don't have to get God to show up. We never get God to show up. He's always present, always with mm. us. And so it's more where we're showing up mm. and we're turning our heart to him. So those are those are a few things I'd, I'd throw out there as we start to think about about that. Yeah, I really like that analogy of the child talking at you because my kids are at that talking at you stage. <laughs> uh, my eldest is kind of moving into, you know, we have some conversations, but it just kind of reminded me of when Kristen and I were first dating. I mean, we would we would sit on the phone for hours, you know, and, and there were times where we would fall asleep on the phone just talking to each other. You know, but now it's like we sit in bed, we hold hands and we're just together. It, there's a deeper intimacy to what we're experiencing in no words than the intimacy that we were experiencing with the words. And I'm not saying that the words is bad. I'm just saying, you know, it, uh, like you said, it leads to 
So kind of moving into a relationship beyond words. I think that's just such a powerful, powerful analogy. You know, one of the things that that um, I'd love to ask you to uh, speak into is sometimes, you know, the question can can arise, what's the point of prayer? Like, what, like what, what am I doing here? Because it can seem a lot of times like I'm talking to the air, you know, are my prayers going anywhere? Like, what, what's, what's the point? I understand evangelism, you know, I understand the point of that, bringing people to Christ. I understand Bible reading because I'm learning more about God. But, but where, what, where is God leading us in this abiding? Like, what's, what's his hope? Where's the journey taking us? Well, one of the things that can be helpful to sort of back up and think about a little bit is that God exists in relationship. There's Father, Son, and Spirit. God has existed eternally in a relational framework, hmm. right? In, in fact, you know, in First John, there's so much discussion about abiding. In First John 4, we're told that God is love. Not that He's loving. He is loving. Or not that he's gracious, and he is, but he is love. He is the epitome, the the very definition of love. And so this loving relationship has existed uh, forever. And 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 when we were created, we were created out of that love. We are relational beings, and so prayer is relationship. And, and that can be one of the shifts that can be helpful for us because often we think about prayer in terms of getting something or accomplishing something, or like you said, what does it do? Well, it's relationship. And and we often don't, you know, sometimes in a fleshly way, we could think about relationships as accomplishing something or being useful to us. But that's, if we're honest about it, that's kind of crass to think about, oh, I have that relationship because they're useful to me. You know, we would we would never admit that, or or even maybe be aware of it. (laughs) Well, yeah, but I think sometimes that's the way we approach God Mm. is because He's accomplishing something for me. Mm. And 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 here's what's beautiful: we are often drawn to God because of what He has done for us, because of what Christ did on the cross, because. The riches of Christ that are that are poured onto us through Jesus, there's so much there, and we're often drawn through that, and that's not a bad thing. God's not mad about that. He loves that we can can see Him for who He is, and that we have a, a desire for that. But in the same way that a young child, you know, in a lot of ways, is drawn to the parents because they're putting food on the table and there's there's a bit of a transactional yeah. relationship and it's not bad parents aren't mad about that you know but you do hope that someday along the way your children grow out of it being a transactional relationship to it being like a real relationship and so i think the point of prayer is relationship and it may start off in one place but god's desire is that we move to a place where it is a real relationship. And I think in the in the evangelical church, quite often we talk about having a relationship with God or a relationship with Jesus. And it's almost kind of a catchphrase. But if you say to someone, what does that mean? Well, they might be able to throw out some theological descriptions of that and say, well, it means I've been justified or I'm, you know, whatever Bible verses they, but what does that yeah. really mean? And, and I think that's part of the invitation to grow deeper in prayer. And even this abiding kind of prayer is 
it's it moves past knowing about God to knowing him experientially because you're you're with him. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. And I think it brings up the point of um, so much we struggle with the being versus doing, isn't it? Like, you know, I'm going to do for God or he's going to do for me. But this whole idea of just being, it, it's, it's just not, man, it's not something that in our Western culture, like we can even, like that we even have vocabulary to talk about, really, much less to experience and so much of our culture is do 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 and so much of our um, what we're taught to build relationship is to do right so if you want to go grow closer in your relationship with your wife have a date night well that's just doing (laughs) like it there's there's a goodness to it right but but i'm supposed to be doing something and and i think one of the things that has really been a stumbling block for me is coming to this place of, okay, I understand that God is leading me into a deeper relationship of love. And then my very next phrase is, so what do I do? (laughs) (laughs) How do I do that? Right. And, and I remember a, a mentor of mine saying, well, you're asking the wrong question, right? It's, it's not what you do. So do you have any insights for us into that dichotomy of being and doing? Well, first of all, it's real. I mean, it's just real. We, from the time we're kids, our value is defined by what we do, what we accomplish, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think that's, that's a place to start is just to acknowledge and be real with the fact that that's there and maybe even see the specific ways it's a challenge for us. And, you know, I, I think another thing that can be helpful is to look at in the history of the church, there have been practices that the people of God have engaged in that have helped them be with God. So in one sense, it's it's not about doing, like you said, what do I do to be with God? But, th- but at the same time, we have the model of centuries of, of saints, people that have loved Jesus, um, engaging in certain practices like silence and solitude. And it goes back to Jesus. You know, one of the things you see in the Gospels over and over again, he withdrew and went to a lonely place. He went off by himself. He spent time alone with the Father. And so, you know, to have some practices in our lives where we can get off the scene, whether it's for an hour or a day or a a retreat, uh, where we can be and we can begin to let go of all the the, you know, one writer, I think it's uh, Thomas Keating talks about the monkey mind. You know, we have this monkey mind that's just going and going and grabbing this and grabbing that. And we think about this and then it goes to that. Um, but to learn some practices where we're able to release some of that kind of obsessive thinking that could be there and to release the impulse to just do the next thing. And so I think in a lot of ways to to be in those kind of spaces we need to intentionally engage in practices that can help us be there. And, you know, if if we're engaging in something like contemplative prayer, we're just sitting and being with God. You know, one of the things that's often recommended is take about 20 minutes and just sit quietly with God. Well, the first time you try to do that, you can maybe go 30 seconds, you know, and then it's like, oh my yeah, God. so what? true. And the thing is, is this thing of of being with God in quiet, just enjoying his presence with no agenda, all that, 
it's a muscle that we develop. And, you know, I mean, if, if you just started going to the gym for the first time and you went to go try to lift the biggest weights, you can't do it or you'd hurt yourself or you get discouraged and never go back to the gym, but you start off simple and slow and you build over time that sort of muscle, so to speak. Hmm. What is your observation on the teaching in the church when it comes to abiding prayer when it comes to kind of, uh, to use your example, um, talking at God, talking to God, there seems to be a lot of that in the church, right? That like, it's almost kind of fostered and given places for that. What, where do you see um, the teaching of the church and the practice of the church kind of maybe falling short a little bit in its full understanding of what it means to abide in Christ and abiding prayer? Well, to go back to something we said a little bit before, in many ways, prayer is thought of as intercession. That's just how people think about it. So I think often our leaders, our pastors, we we just don't have a a bigger vision for prayer than that. And so the the other part of that is if, if leaders haven't practiced this kind of prayer and learned this kind of prayer, they can't lead people in it. And so... That to me is is something that's incredibly important is it has to be modeled. Uh, it's not so much something that you teach as something that you experience. And it's not so much something that you can give people a three-point outline as it is something that you practice uh, together. Hmm. I was talking to Kristen a little while ago, and I, I remember being at some like pastors' gatherings, and we were, you know, we would a group of us would get a house together or something like that. And, and one of the things I noticed, not from a judgmental or, or kind of condemnation part, was there was very little. You just didn't see a whole lot of guys kind of going off and being alone with Jesus, or you know, quote unquote, doing their devotionals, something like that. And as I was reflecting back on my own life and in, in, in ministry and in, in different capacities, really kind of coming to the place of, you know, the system, like, it just doesn't give place for this kind of abiding contemplative type prayer. Because the metrics that we use in church are salvations and programs and, you know, budgets and things like that. So, I remember looking, reading a book by Eugene Peterson where he talked about how he had this um, little plaque or something that he would put on his door and it said something. I know you've read the book. I, I don't know exactly, remember exactly what it said, but it was something like, you know, in reflection or something like that, right? And and how much of our people in the congregation wouldn't consider that work or 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 the job of the pastor, right? It's just it just doesn't exist. So when we pastors come together, most of our conversation is about like what the church is doing. What are you doing? How are you reaching that person? Right? It's very little about let's be with Jesus. What is the Lord saying to you? It's almost like the whole system is designed against this abiding in prayer. And so you've been there, you've been in, you know, some sort of ministry capacity for 20 something years. You've, you've pastored a church, you do spiritual direction with people. How do you see all that playing out? Well, first, I think you described it really well. It's, it's difficult. It's not easy because there are preconceived ideas about what constitutes work, for example. 
And the reality is the work of a pastor more than anything else should be prayer, should be listening to God, should be creating space, right? Because I, I think what ends up happening a lot is in ministry, you know, leaders, pastors, elders, whoever come together and they come up with this plan. And then they say, Jesus, will you bless our plan? Right. <laughs> well, and, yeah. really, and really it should be, Lord, what is your plan? What are you doing? What are you up to? And so it's not asking the Lord to join our plan, but we are seeking to join his. Or what are you up to? What are the invitations? What? How do you see all of this going? So I think some of it's a, a shift in orientation. The other thing is you have to be incredibly intentional about this. Because it is it is like swimming upstream because the culture conspires against this sort of life that is rooted in being with God and listening to him and and following his initiatives rather than asking him to follow follow ours. So if you talk about a retreat, you can think about most church retreats you go on, you come home tired. Because yeah. it's about how much can we pack into 48 hours? <laughs> Let's see how much we can do. And when we're not, you know, in a session, uh, we're going to go out and and play golf or we're going to go this and we're going to, mm -hmm. and it's all this. And, and what's fascinating about that in a tragic kind of way is that the biblical picture of retreat from, you know, the first century with Jesus into the early church retreat was about leaving the busyness about creating space. And so you have to be intentional about it. And I often encourage pastors who are interviewing to serve at a church or young pastors that are just starting off in ministry to be very intentional about the things that you need to live this kind of life. And, you know, to talk to the hiring committee of a church and say, you know, when you're talking about the specifics, just to be upfront and say, well, here's things that I need. I need two weeks a year in, you know, rest and reflection with the Lord to listen to him. And that's not vacation time. You know, I yeah. need this if I'm going to pastor and, and to have those kind of tough conversations. I, I think that's where sometimes in ministry, uh, pastors can get a little scared, like, well, I don't know if I can ask for that. And and then we're dealing with our own stuff of productivity. And, oh, I, I don't know, am I going to feel productive if I do those kind of things? And so there's often just internal work we have to do as well. So I think it's, you know, being very intentional, creating the space and and being um, in, a, in, I think, a beautiful way, kind of hardcore about this. Hmm. Yeah. Well, if we were to bring it down a level, and and, and I don't mean down in a, in a sense of importance or position, but I just mean, um, you know, the the person in the pew, you know, the 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 small group leader, the the person that's helping in children's ministry, something along those lines, just the person that shows up to church on on Sunday with their family, the the deck is stacked against them as well. Because the church machine requires do, 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 do. Like, when, when exactly are we supposed to abide with Christ, right? Like, you have Sunday mornings and you come, and more than likely you're, you're having to help in some way, 
right? <laughs> Show up a couple hours early, set up, do whatever it is. Then you're going to have meetings galore. And then it's like, you know, reach your neighborhood. And then it's, you know, here's our women's Bible study, something like that. So even, you know, just bringing it down from the pastoral role, just the person in the pews, the church isn't designed for abiding prayer either. So, you know, kind of what are your observations on that? How, how would you encourage people in that sense? I would say to find some other people who have a similar desire and begin to practice some of these things together. I think one of the, one of the mistakes we often make in, in leading churches is we teach people things and then we say, now go do it. And some of them do it. Some of them Most want of them to don't. do it. Most yeah. of them don't. Let's be no. honest. You know, yeah. I mean, and so I think our churches are often teach, 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 do, 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 you know, in terms of serving. But I, it's incredibly powerful to be with others and practice mm -hmm. like this times of silence. I, I, so I think we often, you know, will say to people, go spend some time with the Lord. Okay, well, you know, how do I do that? Do I have time for that? But if if you're doing it with others, there's an accountability when you do it with others. And then we are relational beings. We are social beings. And so when we're with others doing these things, it reinforces it in our lives in ways that doing it by ourselves doesn't. Now, there are times where being by ourselves and having solitude is great. But like one of the things that we do in our ministries, we take people on uh, silent prayer retreats. And the people don't talk to each other the whole retreat. And you kind of think, well, I can just do this by myself. Well, you could, and, and it can be good, and, and that would be wonderful and, and all that. But there's something about sharing that with other people that I, I can't even describe it. It is just powerful. It, it's, it reinforces something in you. You're all doing this together. Um, there's a unifying piece to it. So I, that's one of the things I would say is, you know, a lot of our churches aren't embracing these kind of things, but there's always some people in a church that have a desire for it. So get those people together and just at the margins of the church, practice some of these things. Mm -hmm. I really like that, that silent retreat. I think Kristen, you and I, we, our marriage needs a good two or three day silent retreat. What do you think? <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> so if you don't know us, Kristen is the relational talk, 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 talk. And I'm the introvert, like, leave me alone. I've been around people for 10 minutes. I need to go recharge. <laughs> so, you know, one of the things we've been wrestling with in a good way as we create our own community or communities is what does it look like to orient a church, a, a, a fellowship of believers towards abiding prayer. We, we had a staff meeting, a, a group of people got together and said, what would a worship service look like if the point wasn't the dissemination of information and if the point was to abide with Jesus? Like, how would that change? What would we have to do? Have you seen anything happen in, in different churches and, and the reorienting of things towards that end? You know, I think one of the easy things to do is to have some times of silence in a worship service. Yeah, we can't do that. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Someone's got to be talking. Yeah. Well, you know, I, revolutionary, I say, Ted. <laughs> and, and it can be it can be some guided silence where you say, hey, we're going to take mm -hmm. the next minute. Just a minute. That can feel like a long time. But yeah. let's just take a minute. And I want to encourage you to 
I mean, you could do something like pray for the people around you and it's mm-hmm. just quiet. Or it could be, uh, you know, a scripture reading and you just encourage people to sit in quiet and meditate upon what they just heard. After a sermon, have some mm-hmm. space where someone can process through, Lord, what did you want me to hear in that? You know, so I think those are some things you can do to have some space. I know often uh, when I preach before I, I I get into things, I'll say, let's just take a moment and be quiet. There may be things that are bothering you, things that are on your mind. What if Let's just take a moment and be quiet, take a few deep breaths, and just remind yourself that you are in the presence of God. He is with you. So, and there's some things like that that you can do at a, at a very basic level that don't seem too crazy to people, you know, and it kind of fits with things. And it actually is incredibly, I think, helpful because you're encouraging people to be with God and listen to Him and not and not just listen to the sermon or listen to the song or sing the song, but to have spaces where they are praying. I, I think one of the things I've noticed is that often the only praying that's done in a service is from someone up front. And so really, you're just listening to prayers. So to think about how can we create space where people can be praying, even quietly in their own heart, but where they are praying. And, you know, in a a tragic way, I attended a church a couple of years ago where they did not pray one time in the whole service. Not one time. Because everything just, you know, there was a music, set, you know, the worship set, and then it went right into a video, and then it went into the sermon, and it was just this slick, great thing that just pop, pop, pop into the next thing. And there was not one time that someone prayed. And that in and of itself felt tragic to me. But what was ironic and ironically tragic about it is that the sermon was on prayer. Oh, my. <laughs> That's just comical. Why did oh. you start off with that as your fucking well, <laughs> well. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and, you know, the thing is, and, and I don't share that to shame anyone. And nobody knows what yeah. church I'm talking about anyway. Because no. I, I think the church that it was probably wasn't even aware, you know. And I think it's so easy to fall into those kind of things where our time together in worship is about bam, bam, this and that, and how are we going to transition and all that? And and even sometimes if there is prayer, it's about transitioning from Mm -hmm. one thing to another. But what does it look like to engage people in their own prayer? And that can be some great uh, first steps, Mm -hmm. um, I think. And then things could expand and grow from there. I'm attending a church right now where um, we actually have four periods of silence in the service. Mm. There are, um, there's a scripture reading, silence for four minutes, a scripture reading, silence for four minutes. Then we have the sermon and silence for four minutes after the sermon to just be with God. And, and, and that's probably a little more down the road. You know, I think most churches aren't going to start off with 12 minutes of silence (laughs) in their, in their service, but, but that's kind of some of the places you can go. And the whole point of it, and, and this is what, we're getting at is I think it's about from a leadership perspective, engaging people in their relationship with God mm-hmm. in a, in a real experiential way in the context of community. 
Mm, that's really good. You, you know, when you were talking about that service, um, it's just, you know, it's it's a production, it's slick, all that kind of stuff. And earlier you talked about we have a monkey brain, right? That kind of jumps from everywhere. Well, it just kind of strikes me that our services are the same, aren't they? They're like monkey services. They just jump from one thing, you know, boom, announcements. Oh, shift, we're doing communion. Oh, shift, we're doing offering. Oh, shift, we're, you know, and it, it's just kind of this, it's it's similar. And that is kind of a tragic thing. Kristen? Well, I was going to say, I don't think it's really the reflection of having a monkey brain. I think it's that our church culture has been very much influenced by our world, our American culture. And I mean, we w- we did this. We had a production meeting before service because it is a production. It And the slicker, the better, because you're feeling like, okay, our transitions are on. We have no awkward moments. You know, we would tell people like, please start walking up before the music starts. So that way there's not like this weird pause in the middle. And that's just, I mean, that's show business. <laughs> That is, that's, yeah, go ahead, Ted. And you know, here's the thing. People are longing for quiet. They're longing for space where they can just be. And they may not even be aware of it, but our world is just, yeah, it's so high paced or, you know, fast paced and everything's just go, go, go and do. And people are longing for this. I mean, they're, they're longing for it just in a, in a practical way. But but then they're longing to be with God. And and I think part of in this whole thing is helping people identify their longings and helping them name what's really going on in their soul. And and so often people just aren't aware. They don't know that they want this. And so I know often as I as I teach, I talk to people about, you know, what you desire most is to be with God. You may not fully feel that, but that's the truest part of who you are in Christ is you're this new creation that just longs to be with him in this abiding prayer kind of way. And and we often have so many other desires sort of, you know, caked up on top of, you know, that desire. And sometimes the process of leading people and even leading ourselves is letting go of those desires so that we can be more present to that, to that deep desire. So let's just take the last few minutes, Ted, and let's get like seriously practical, okay? <laughs> like seriously practical. Someone is listening to this and they're feeling that stirring to abide in Jesus. And so what what I would encourage them to do is like, there's a couple of great places to start. One is Lexio Divina, kind of practice that practice. Another one to consider is the prayer of examine. And the third one would be silence. So if you could get really, really practical, let's just take Lexio Divina to start off in. Could you help someone? How would you get going with that? And what would it look like? So Lectio Divina, you know, is is the Latin for divine reading. And it's the way that, you know, people have read the scriptures for centuries and we've kind of gotten away from it little bit in these last couple of centuries, certainly in the last hundred years. Um, But it's where you just read a text and you just sit with it and you start off with, what am I noticing in this text? You know, what's, what's there? Lord, what are you saying to me in this? And then what's my response to God? 
And, and there can be more to it than that. But if you can think about it just that simply, it's just to take some scripture and just to sit quietly with God, just walking through those questions. What am I noticing? Lord, what are you, what are you pointing out to me? And what does it mean to me? What are you saying to me, Lord? And then a prayer of, of response. That would be a really simple way to think about Lectio Divina. It's, it's really just a guided sort of meditation on, on Scripture um, is what it is. You know, the, the prayer of examine can be practiced in lots of different ways, but it's, you know, you come to the end of the day and you just sit with the Lord in a meditative, quiet kind of space and you say, Lord, help me review my day. What do you want me to notice about this day and how you were present with me and and those kind of things? And so there can be more to it. And someone, the great thing is you can Google Lectio Divina, Prayer of Examine, and find lots of things. But but all of these things are just methods. They're just they're just entry points to being with God, to developing a deeper awareness of Him, to uncovering our desire for Him. And then with silence, spending God, time with God in silence or abiding prayer, contemplative prayer, lots of different ways people talk about it. You know, a great resource is centering prayer. Mm-hmm. Again, you could Google that. One great website is contemplativeoutreach.org or maybe it's .com, but contemplative outreach and tons of resources there on how to engage in centering prayer. And one of the things they say on that on that website, I think very appropriately is it's a method. It's just a structure. It's just something to help you learn how to be with God and develop that sort of way of, of praying. So in some ways, it's like training wheels on a bike. You know, if you're going to ride that bike, you got to have that to help you learn how to balance. But at some point, you learn how to balance it and you learn how to be in that space and you you throw the training wheels off. You know, it'd be weird to see a 25-year-old man riding a bike with training <laughs> wheels, you know, because it, it yeah. so all of these things are like training wheels. They're just they're just methods to help you be present to God, aware of him. And and one of the beautiful things is as these kind of practices, and they're so simple. And yet they can they can go so deep. As you grow in these things, you end up taking these practices with you into your day. Mm. To where, as I learned to be more attentive and aware and notice how God was with me throughout the day, then the next day, I'm able to notice it a little bit more in the moment. You know, as I'm learning to be with God and in quiet and silence and aware of Him and and aware of my desire, I start to notice that just pops up throughout my day. And that's kind of, you know, you talked earlier about what's the point? The point is relationship. And so we engage in some of these practices to develop and deepen relationship that happens in real time. Hmm. There's great books you can read. There's a great book by Adele Calhoun called The Spiritual Disciplines Handbook. And it has like 70 or 80 different kind of spiritual disciplines and some specific ones around this idea of contemplative prayer. I'd mentioned before that book, Armchair Mystic. It's a really simple, um, easy, great read with lots of different exercises, which again, are helpful things to uh, move us into that space. That would be another great one. If you want to go deeper in some things, Basil Pennington, great book on centering prayer. Martin Laird, and that that starts getting really deep, I think. <laughs> He's got three books on contemplative prayer, and they will rock your world. Uh, I, so, uh, 
you you suggested I read that. I've been I've been reading through that, and I was telling my wife, "Honey, this is such a deep book. I, it's one of the few books that I will read twice, just because the first go around, I just like I, it was just like I just got the 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 cream of the crop. There's so much more in there. It's fabulous. So let's let's say Ted that um, someone was listening and they really appreciated what you're saying, and maybe they wanted to contact you for some spiritual direction and or ask you for some a little bit more practical advice on on how to help. Could you share with our listeners some of the resources that you've developed, just maybe some contact information, things like that? Like how might they uh, engage with with you? Well, it could go to my website. My personal website is desertdirection.com. Hmm. Desertdirection.com, pretty easy. And I have some resources there, some spiritual practices, kind of a list of practices that I'm developing and always adding to. There's some books there. All my contact information is there. And then I serve with the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona. And we have tons of resources on there between just resources you can use as well as events to help people growing these things. And right now we're doing a lot of online things, which is, which is pretty great. Mm-hmm. And that's sfsaz.org, Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona. Uh, I think it's pretty easy to find. Google it as well. So yeah, those are probably some ways that awesome. people could connect. We'll try to get a lot of these resources in the show notes as well so people can link up. Yeah. Well, thank you, Ted, so much for joining us. It's been great sharing your perspectives on things. If you are listening, I just want to encourage you to load up your (laughs) Google Chrome or whatever browser you use and just log into some of Ted's websites. His website, Desert Direction, is a little bit more personal about his life and uh, his journey. The Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona is a little bit more uh, organizational in a lot of resources. I've gone there myself and downloaded a number of helps. And Ted has always been gracious to me in answering emails, phone calls, anything like that to just kind of help me along. So again, Ted, thank you so much. It's been wonderful. Oh, you're so welcome. So great to be with you guys. So thanks for joining us for this episode of Only on a Sunday. Next time, we have the opportunity to interview Tom Ashbrook, who is the leader of Imago Christi and the author of numerous books on abiding prayer and missional engagement. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you're listening. And if you'd like to support what we're doing, you can check us out at the lowrysonmission.org or simply do a Facebook search and just type in the Lowry's on Mission. Thanks again for joining us and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.